Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and that would be one heck of a cold Wisconsin, although we're going to have a warm day before we go back into the freezer. But we have our shivering panel with us, hopefully from their warm homes. Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, joins us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here with y'all. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, great to have you with us. Happy Wisconsin winter, everyone. Uh, we are in it. It is uh, definitely Wisconsin winter. Get out, folks, and enjoy it. Uh, one of the nice things about those really crisp, cold days is we get lots of sun. And it, uh, if you can uh, dress warm enough, it is absolutely beautiful out. Um, but with that, folks, we have an ex- this has been an extraordinarily busy week. Um, both at the federal and state level. We're going to spend a significant amount of time talking about state-level politics this week. Um, A lot of activity uh, in the legislature this week, but also we're going to be joined by State Senator Chris Larson later in the show to talk about new revelations around the conspiracy to steal the 2020 elections, and in particular, around fake electors. We'll talk more about that later. We're going to start the show, though, by... Focusing on the national scene, we have we have over the last year or so since President Biden was elected, spent a lot more time talking about national politics, because, as we say, we are actually trying to govern and accomplish big things. And we spent a ton of time talking about Build Back Better, promoting Build Back Better, uh, because it's extraordinarily important. And we're going to talk more about that, get an update on some of the, the things that are moving around that. But before we do, the big news this week was uh, that we are going to have a Supreme Court vacancy. Justice Breyer has decided to step down, which creates a opportunity for uh, President Biden to appoint his first Supreme Court justice. And wanted to at least get both of your quick comments on this, because it's really critical. Um especially after what happened as uh, uh, what happened with the lack of appointment of Justice Garland and sort of where we're at with a very conservative Supreme Court. Claire, your thoughts on the uh, retirement of Justice Breyer? Look, the retirement of a Supreme Court justice is always uh, something that brings out some emotions in me because it's you know, fear of change, of uncertainty, a little bit of excitement when there's a Democratic president about could we get somebody better? Um, I'm excited this time because uh, during his campaign, President Biden uh, promised to nominate women to the Supreme Court. And in the words of the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg, there's enough women on the Supreme Court when it's nine. So I'm excited uh, to see who he puts forward. Uh, you know, he, you know, for all for all that we, I think, can fairly criticize the president, um, criticize is maybe the wrong word that we that we and to use Robert's word, run an inside outside game where we try to put pressure on him to to be better. Um, he has nominated um, a a pretty diverse um, cabinet, at least from a historical perspective. There's always um, a tremendous amount of room for improvement. Uh, so I think there's a good chance that he will nominate a woman, maybe even a woman of color to this position. And that is an, uh, an exciting thing. I'm, I'm sort of waiting to see the short list that comes out. Robert, your thoughts on uh, this retirement? Well, uh, thank the Lord that Stephen Breyer saw the light and he is 
been very committed to this nonpartisanship uh, idea or myth with this Republican Party, just as Manchin and Cinema are for whatever reason. And it was very hard for him to give in and to even announce his retirement, though it would be effective at the end of the session early enough so that the Democrats can get a replacement uh, put through. So at least he finally conceded to the fact that this has become a political appointment. And I think the activity of, of Justice Kavanaugh and especially uh, uh, Justice Coney Barrett have convinced him these are politicians in robes, which we've been saying for over a decade here on Battleground Wisconsin. Now, as far as the opening, there's only really one precedent I know of for this. Biden made a promise of what of, of what demographic group he will be appointing. The only precedent is, is that uh, Reagan did the same. He said he didn't he'd appoint a woman because he had such a huge gender gap facing him. And he probably he had he was he also was not opposed to it ideologically, though a lot of his it was it was contra a big part of his base. And that was Sandra Day O'Connor. So that was path breaking. President Biden, the whole byplay of him doing it in the South Carolina primary and it having an effect and being talked into it by James Clyburn, but the congressman. But he um, he promised to appoint a black woman and his short list that's being reported. This is this is not his official short list. As Claire pointed out, we don't know his official short list, but media has a short list. And it's all very prominent African-American women, couple very, at least several very qualified jurists who are already not only well qualified, but in a position like just beneath the Supreme Court. And there's talk of a Sherilyn Eiffel being appointed. She is same position that Thurgood Marshall, the first black uh, she, uh, she, uh, justice had. That is, she was head of the NAACB Legal Defense Council as a very well-known voting rights advocate. I think that sends the best signal because given the attack on voting rights to, uh, to appoint Sherilyn Eiffel not having looked at the other candidates. I also don't want progressives to sleep on the fact this is a very broad party and the media has fallen to the trap that there's a liberal wing and there's a conservative wing. In fact, the appointments we've had for the most part, especially the two Clinton appointments, have been very moderate neoliberal Democrats. And yes, they've they've been good on things like gerrymandering and voting rights. They've uh, been not nearly as good on things like our rights, consumers versus corporations, intellectual pop, property, patent law, labor law, which is very important, etc. So we should want an African-American woman, President Biden, I think, is accountable, but there are many who want to make sure he's accountable to that promise and that she is a progressive one. And they do not decide we need all 50 votes and Joe Manchin gets to name the black women he would confirm, because that's just capitulating to the uh, a, a very small wing of the party. Manchin is not representative of the Democratic Party in any way, shape or form. He's a chameleon. Though. I mean, he's both a chameleon and a unicorn. So. I really appreciate both your thoughts on this. Look, I think this is really important. I want to immediately put this in a broader context and expand the conversation here. Look, the past month was extremely tough for progressives, right? What happened with Manchin and Cinema around Build Back Better was disempowering. Polls were not good. Um, I think this is helpful, right? It reminds everybody the, the huge stakes, the huge stakes this fall and kind of snaps you back as to what the broader sort of divide is in this country. And we've talked about it around 
you know, essentially what happened on January 6th and the other things attached to that. And our agenda, our agenda as progressives and what we're trying to do within the broader party. Claire mentioned the inside outside game. And so, uh, Robert, I want to give you a second to just quickly talk about an article that was written this week uh, about it was called The Empire Strikes Back. That might be a little uh, heavy, but the whole concept that centrists and let's just call them corporate Democrats right within the party are pressuring uh, Biden around being too close to progressives. And this is a really important time for us as progressives to stay engaged, stay engaged and build back better. We're going to talk more about that after Robert's comments. Stay engaged in all of this because it's absolutely critical, Robert. Yeah, let me, because we're not Fox News, I'll fact check ourselves. The Empire Strikes Back is Robert's description. The Washington Post article, which in, interviewed 60 people, so extremely valuable, many off the record, most off the record, uh, about uh, Joe Biden's chief of staff. Ron Klain had the perfect resume. His first year showed the limits of that experience. So I am taking something very different than the frame of the Post article from what they revealed. And so the reason I call it the Empire Strikes Back is, is that Ron Klain is the most progressive White House chief of staff since LBJ, since Bill Moyers was, didn't have the title, but was functioning. He didn't really have a chief of staff, LBJ, but he was chief of staff. So, and he has close alliance with and, and, and contacts with the progressive wing of the party. And what most of the vitriol in the Washington Post article is about is about what a disaster that has been and how Ron Klain has blown the presidency. All the failures are caused by this too close connection to the left wing of the party. There was one unnamed person, not for attribution, who said uh, that they have made that he has made uh, progressive caucus chair Pramila Jayapal, a great ally of progressives, into a blanking monster by empowering her. And she's been all over Sunday morning shows and has had unparalleled influence. Progressives had have had in this first Biden year. And he did move left and try and push through a remarkably progressive agenda, uh, much more progressive than anything we've seen in 50 years. And here's the danger. It is not OK that we didn't pass the, the most important chunks of this agenda. Right. To, 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 to use the terms of, of, of young social justice crusaders. It is not okay at all when you keep fighting, but we need to understand when I say the empire is striking back, that they're trying to make sure that, that the Biden administration moves more to the right and doesn't even propose these things anymore, doesn't even fight for voting rights, et cetera. And we need to have, keep our eye on the ball, fight for passing this and getting it or winning a lot, enough elections to pass it and more, but at the same time to not uh, walk away from it, be disgusted, and let the neoliberals, the moderates, the centrists, the establishment Democrats take over this administration, which is what this article is about them doing, even though that's not the Washington Post break. So, folks, we're going to talk more about this. we got to take our first break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the fight at the federal level, uh, Build Back Better may have gone down thanks to essentially two corporate Democrats. Uh, but this is the, the push continues. Um, this bill is going to come back in some different form. 
Uh, it's not the end and we're going to continue pushing for it. Just want to give our listeners a heads up. We are going to have a week of action. We are, we expect it to be in about a couple weeks, uh, second week of February. We'll have more information uh, about what we're going to do, but continue to have actions and event to push this agenda because it's wildly popular. Let's be clear about that. A lot of the key pieces. Um, and part of that is also trying to be clear about the things that did happen in the first year. And one of those uh, major things was there was significant federal infrastructure bill. Uh, Claire, Vice President Harris was in town this week promoting uh, some aspects of this. And one really critical thing for a lot of folks here in Wisconsin is uh, lead pipe laterals. And just this is another example of trying to at least get out there and let folks know of many of the things that were accomplished that were done almost essentially with entirely all Democratic support. Claire, uh, VP Harrison town in Milwaukee, big deal this week. Yeah, uh, Vice President Harris was here promoting the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed. It was about a, uh, the, the about trillion dollar bill uh, that our listeners might remember um, was originally going to be part of a sort of broader budget package the government proposed, but the traditional infrastructure components, the, uh, you know, roads, bridges, construction um, piece got peeled off because that could be um, passed with some limited Republican support. Uh, so that bill um, passed and those funds are in the process of being sent to states and being used for investments uh, in infrastructure. And uh, one of the things that uh, is the bill funds is replacement of lead pipes um, in, in states and cities all across the country. So Wisconsin is going to get about $48 million for replacing uh, lead pipes. Uh, a lot of that is uh, coming to uh, some of the older uh, cities and towns in the state. So the city of Milwaukee um, is getting a lot of attention for its lead pipes problems and the need for uh, those funds to jumpstart that process. Um, but I, I, by no means is Milwaukee the only city in the state that that has this problem. Um, just the scale is so much bigger um, here by the by nature of, of how large the city is. Um, so, yes, yeah, so she was here to promote this process and the use of these federal funds, obviously, with uh, Build Back Better in danger. I think it makes sense that um, the White House wants to be out in the communities um, talking about um, what they have done and like making sure people don't forget about these important investments. Um, the one thing I do want to say about the lead pipe problem, and this is not my bailiwick to be clear, it's certainly a public health issue, um, but it is it is not the time that I, or the thing that I spend most of my time thinking about. But I do know that the amount of money that the state and the city are, is going to get pales in comparison to the need. So the state of Wisconsin, like I said, is going to get $48 million from the infrastructure bill to address its, its or to jumpstart, I should say, its lead pipe issue. But in the city of Milwaukee alone, replacing the lead service lines on both public and private property would cost about 800 million, right? So we're talking about just a, a small fraction of the of the funds that, that are needed in this state um, to address this issue. But nonetheless, it, this is important because like I said, it's jumpstarting this process. Yeah, and look, it's this is why we build back better is so critical and more and why we're going to continue 
uh, pushing this agenda. Look, I've got uh, lead pipes being replaced on my street this week. <laughs> my gas is being shut off next week. Uh, and so I know as someone who owns an older home, how important this is, but look, we got to keep the pressure up on this. There's no doubt. Robert, your thoughts. We had talked earlier about the, uh, the inside outside game and that we need to pay attention to keeping the Biden administration as progressive as it has been, because there's an attempt to move it to the right. Well, we also need to be aware, as we're very disappointed about what's still outstanding in the Build Back Better agenda, some of which can still pass. I want to make very clear that we're going to get pieces, but not everything we thought we might get in December. And we actually absolutely need the climate investment, uh, the half trillion that Manchin reportedly would sign off on. Uh, we have a deadline to 2030, or it's uh, devastating to human civilization. And that's not hyperbole. But in terms of the, the roads and bridges bill, uh, it was taken off from everything else because so it could create this kind of fantasy that there's bipartisanship possible, like it's the parts that you could do in some marginally bipartisan way, though most, most Republicans still voted against it in the House and Senate. Um, but the compromises that were made in it were unfortunate, but we need to be able to hold two thoughts at the same time. There's very good things in it, and it's good it passed. But it, uh, it, the transformations needed all required the other pieces of Build Back Better to pass. So um, it has a lot of money for infrastructure. We, uh, we have deferred infrastructure investments for generations because of the move towards um, of conservatism, both of the Republican Democrat Party and, and needless fiscal austerity, unlike other developed countries. So that, that's good. The lead pipe investments are good. I'll say on lead pipes. There's also a lot of discretionary money you can apply for. So Milwaukee can apply for more. It's just not earmarked. So I thought hopefully Milwaukee is doing that. And for other things, like a lot more transit money, for example, the struggling transit system here in Milwaukee. And so, um, but at the same time, it is very traditional to get Republican votes. It has some good climate investments, like on electric charging capacity, but it also puts money through the State Department transportations that overemphasize, you know, highways and traditional 1950 transportation and do not uh, uh, seriously fund mass transit the same way. And so in a way, it actually doubles down on the kind of fossil fuel economy we need to move away from. And that's why we have to pass the other parts of Build Back Better at the same time. But so we keep both thoughts that there are very positive things in this that should be touted. But it is also incomplete, and there are even some things in it that are very unfortunate, like empowering these state departments of transportation, including here in Wisconsin, to act in very retrograde ways that act as if there is no climate deadline in front of us. Well, folks, we're going to continue to focus on this again. We're going to have a week of actions in February to continue to put pressure on the pieces that absolutely must pass. And it, again, Robert says, Remind you, we need to be able to do both of these things. There were amazing things. It, a new number came out around the child tax credits that that helped reduce poverty by 30%. These are very significant. These are the pieces that were removed and we know might not pass, but we need to continue to stay on the offensive. These things are wildly popular. They We can win elections on them, but we can't pack up and go home. And for, speaking of somebody who never packs up and goes home and is the consummate fighter for progressive values and 
let's say democracy uh, on this story, small d democracy, we're really uh, happy to be joined by State Senator Chris Larson. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to be back. Well, look, we're we we're going to have you on. We're gonna, we're going to have to go to break very quickly, but we wanted to get going and dive into a conversation with you this week about uh, what you found out around what's been going on in Wisconsin. We've been talking about the fake electors a lot on the show and the absolute need for there to be prosecution of them and the unfortunate uh, state here in Wisconsin where there's a lot of like hand wringing around it. But uh, you and Representative Brostoff have been doing some digging and this week unveiled some more folks who were behind enabling and allowing this fake elector situation uh, to, to, to happen. Uh, Senator Larson, educate our listeners. What happened? What did you find? Yeah, well, we've, we've been looking into this for a few weeks, and it was only uh, earlier this week um, that we were finally able to make some headway. Uh, we were trying to figure out because the uh, affidavit or the, the uh, fraudulent letter that the fake electors turned in said that they had met in the Capitol at the same time. And we were we were like, well, where did they meet? You know, and so we did everything from trying to talk to the photographers in the Capitol, say, hey, did you take pictures um, talking to reporters if they knew and they had an idea? Um, so we followed all of those and we couldn't figure out what room it was until we finally said, okay, we need to do an open records request to try and track this down and found out um, that it, it, it was um, Senate Majority Leader at the time, Scott Fitzgerald, who reserved the Senate parlor, which uh, for folks who aren't familiar is just off the Senate chambers. It's where most of the press conferences take place, um, that he reserved that four days before, right? And so he has a significant role um, and I know that there's a, a little bit of time, so we'll, I'll, I'll talk about the implications on that um, after we get back from the break. But it was a, it was pretty stunning to us. Well, we really appreciate you joining us to tell us more, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to dive more into this. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're joined by State Senator Chris Larson. Senator Larson was in the beginning of telling us the story about how they uncovered who helped get the room for the fake electors to do their business. Senator Larson, back to the uh, story. Yeah, so uh, Senator Fitzgerald reserved this room four days before. So that December 10th, they put in a request and said, hey, you know, with everything going on around the Capitol, is there is there a way we can get a room uh, for this group called Republican Party of Wisconsin. Now, that is the people who put together the electors. Um, and so they did that on December 14th, the same time, just down the hallway from where the actual electors were meeting. This is, um, you know, stunning for one, they, they, in the document that they filled out fraudulently, they said, oh, no, we're the rightful electors for Donald Trump. And it's not that they just did this as like a cosplaying of like, oh, gosh, let's pretend what it would be like if Donald Trump had one. Um, this was a, a coordinated attempt and through um, great reporting from Rachel Maddow and from, from others who've been looking into this, they discovered that there was similar forms that folks figured filled out in five states. Wisconsin is one of them. Two other states filled out forms saying pending legal changes or pending a legal challenge, but in Wisconsin and four others, they said outright, like, nope, we're the electors, we won. Um, and the goal of that, and just to be clear, that was not true. 
Um, all legal remedies had been exhausted at that point. Uh, folks, you know, taking a trip down memory lane of uh, they tried to do a recount. That recount um, blew up in their faces when it gave more votes to, to uh, Joe Biden, who won the state by 21,000 <laughs> votes, if you remember that. Yeah, I remember that little problem for them. Yeah. So, so they, um, so that was done. They had exhausted all legal remedies. So this was purely, you know what, we're going to overturn the presidential election. And uh, this was the, the, the first part of it was having these fake electors send that letter to Congress, send it to the archives, um, have it notarized. And then to be able to say and that the hope was to put pressure on Mike Pence to say, you know, oh, gosh, I have this, I have this set of electors here and this set of electors here, you know, and throw up his hands and say, well, gosh, I guess we don't know, throw it to the Congress. And then Congress would then be the ones to, to say, you know what, we just can't figure this out. Let's just take a vote because there's dueling electors, right? And Robert knows the history, and I, so I won't botch it, but the, the history of when there was a contested convention before um, and it being tossed to the, uh, to the Congress to decide, uh, that was their hope to overthrow our presidential election. Um, and that was, this was Fitzgerald's role in it as a Senator, but then again, as a Congressman, when he objected to the electors being seated. So he played a role uh, before, he wrote, played a role during January 6th. And then a week later in the cover-up, uh, where he tried to come back and say, you know, we're not sure Donald Trump had anything to do with, with what happened with the uh, insurrection on January 6th. So it implicates him all throughout. Look, this is so critically important because there's been an effort, obviously, to try to separate what happened on January 6th from this kind of crap. And what what's important about it is if these folks did exactly what you said, where they really tried to argue that this was legit, what they're saying is those people on January 6th did the right thing, right? Like that's and, and the notion that somehow they did, didn't back or support or incite them. You guys in legal, what they essentially did, these fake electors in legal terms was say, this is what should be. And so like it's this stuff's critically important and why it needs to be prosecuted. I, but I want to give our, our uh, panel an opportunity to ask you a question, Robert or Claire. Claire, I don't know if you want to go um, first. Robert, okay. Let me just say that um, great work. I think not, not enough of our allies use the full power of their office. It's not just in passing bills. So I'm really happy to see you doing that. And I should say you got on Rachel Maddow. She spent a whole lot of time before you were there on what you had revealed. And she's been one of the leaders in revealing this whole conspiracy to have fake electors. So congratulations on that. I thought you did a great job uh, this mm -hmm. week on Rachel Maddow. Um, so that, let that be a lesson to your colleagues that you can get a lot of national notoriety if you use the power of your office uh, to, to, to do real big things. But um, you're right about the conspiracy because the way, first of all, there are news reports that um, uh, uh, that Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, the, the Trump's chief uh, legal advisor and counsel in trying to steal the election, actually wrote these templates or had them written and coordinated it. And uh, furthermore, it fits into the Pence plot and the insurrection itself, because the idea was under the very vague Electoral Counts Act that Pence would refuse to certify. And at that moment, or just wouldn't act, and at that moment, the fake electors would come into play and Congress could choose them over the real electors. So this was part of the conspiracy that the insurrection 
was about that was also a part of it's it's part of it so and it said now congressman fitzgerald was a key part in one of the five states that did this that could have flipped the election so that's critical i want to ask you about you know this is fraud it you know just straight out and it's forgery right and so uh you've also called for an investigation so is law forward who's been doing some great work trying to fight for voting rights the uh, the 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 the, the legal firm here in Wisconsin, um, but um, in some states like Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, attorney generals have taken action. And in addition, it was reported by CNN broken the same day that you were on Rachel Maddow, I think, or the day before, that uh, it's finally been confirmed by the U.S. Justice Department that they're looking into it. But as far as I know, there's radio silence from our attorney general, Josh Call. So do we know anything that why he's not following the lead of, say, his Michigan counterpart and being clear on this and both both referring it to prosecution by the by the U.S. attorney and the Wisconsin attorney and U.S. attorney general and also saying they'll uh, investigate it as well if they need to? Yeah, and this is something where I, I had talked to uh, Josh Call, and I think he it, it is kind of a strange thing because it is it seems political. And so I think he's kind of like a little bit hands off and saying, oh, gosh, this this kind of seems in the same vein of what uh, some of, of what Gableman is doing of trying to call into question a le legitimate election. Um, and I think that's part of the Republican strategy to try and say, okay, no, anybody saying anything that's Ill, about an election being illegitimate is going to be painted in the same vein as Gableman. But when there is a very real attempt to try and uh, overthrow the presidency, um, paired with the attempt to try and cut down on voting, purge voters, and what we're seeing across the states, um, other states besides Wisconsin, they're, they're seeing it from the legal standpoint here. Um, trying to bar drop boxes and stuff. I think he's 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 kind of um, kind of trying to keep a distance from it. So what he said to me privately is the same thing he said publicly, which is he thinks this, this is something that's best for uh, federal prosecutors to look at, for the U.S. Justice Justice Department to look at. Um, but there was, I mean, there was state crimes here, and I I don't know. I'm of the mindset after the Mueller investigation where they they did not look into everything that they could have, and I think it's important to prosecute these crimes, and there were crimes of fraud in, a, in the attempt to overthrow power at the highest level um, in the country, that if these folks aren't held accountable, then they will do it again. I mean, they broadcast that they're, they're you know, these things weren't in place the right way, and some of them are very un, un, unapologetic about it. Um, so they, they have to be held accountable. Just because they didn't get the fire started doesn't mean we shouldn't take away the, the, the lighter and the gasoline because they are still walking around using it. Claire? They actually, as you say before Claire asked your question, they did their part. If Pence, of all people, hadn't, hadn't stood up on principle, then, then this part of the strategy would have worked, Chris. But uh, I know Claire has a question. Yeah, well, actually, um, Robert asked my question. I wanted an update on uh, how things are going with uh, trying to get state DOJ to do something. Uh, so instead, I'll ask, look, is is there anything that we can do? Um, I mean, this seems like you are carrying a lot of water for this, right? Like you are keeping the momentum going um, and trying to put pressure on state DOJ um, and, and, you know, spreading spreading the word, Um 
across the country, but what's going on here in Wisconsin, um, aside from like, you know, sharing clips on social media, like what can folks at home be doing to help you in, in this fight? Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. It's always the tough part about this is it's, it's not like a, you know, we're, we're waiting for the justice department to be able to find the facts and do the work that they need to do. But um, it is, it is exposing as much of this that's, as that's possible. And I, I guess that's where we're kind of looking at it. Representative Brostoff and I are looking at it as thinking in terms of the other people who helped enable this, right? And that's where we found the Fitzgerald piece of this. Uh, and there's other things where we're looking at, and I don't wanna, you know, they're not fully cooked yet, so we can't talk about them, but um, putting public pressure on any politician or anyone who's involved in campaigns around this and having them to answer for it, right? There was a piece that came out from Melanie Conklin today from Wisconsin Examiner, where she was talking about the Jarco campaign, who's running for AG and the people who are associated with it, including the former party chairman who was the, the chief signatory of these fake electors. Um, you know, that includes folks on the Rebecca Clayfish campaign who are associated with her that she has to suddenly answer for this. Um, and chief among them, of course, is Scott Fitzgerald. He is a congressman. If anybody is a listener and following this, this is something where he should respond to his constituents to be able to, to, to answer them. He has answered, has not answered us and he has not answered the press, but um, at some point or another, he's got to be doing town halls and responding to his, his bosses, right? The, the thousands of people who, uh, who he is supposed to represent. So those are, those are some uh, uh, three things that people can do. We got to take a quick break, but we're going to come right back with Senator Larson. Talk more about this. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about what Senator Larson this week unveiled, along with uh, Representative Brostoff around the fake electors here and the connection to Congressman Fitzgerald and others here in Wisconsin. Um, look, I think, and I think this is the number one issue of this election. I've actually, um, I've, there was some, there's been a number of focus groups done around the country looking at a lot of suburban voters where there's been tons of movement also here in Wisconsin. And everything I've heard, this is the issue. They are upset about this issue. And these are voters who have swung back and forth they see this as the top issue and they want they want to know why there hasn't been more investigations. Um, and so I think you talking about this and us talking about this is absolutely critical. I'm amazed at how many people are lapsing into talking about this 2022 election as if it's an off your election using sort of normalizing talk. Mm -hmm. And I just you know, I'm, I think this is a critical conversation because we cannot have normalizing talk. We had a coup in this country and we have people running for office who were directly involved in it. And that is the number one issue in this election. And I say that as an economic progressive who you know has lots of things that I know are super critically important. But Senator Larson, just back to you on this. I mean, do you... I just I, I'm amazed. And just again, thank you for continuing to talk about this. And it is investigations that are needed. Yeah, there should yeah, be no. pressure on on call on others. Right. right. And there should be that should be disqualifying from from office. And Wisconsin is not one of those states that had the, the post Confederacy, the post Civil War uh, laws on the book that says if you took part in an insurrection, you're barred from serving in office um, that is coming into play for 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 some elections um, in those states. 
Um, but it should be disqualifying. If you do not, you know, there is no guarantee that we continue to have a democratic republic, right? Like there is, it, it, I think that there's an assumption that there's guardrails that protect us, right? That protect us from having despots take over. And what 2016 taught us is like, no, there, there are not guardrails. And those that actually exist are very quickly being dismantled by um, by purposeful um, uh, sabotage, but some of them are just rusting away because people assume that we didn't need them anymore, right? Sabotage by um, by some of the mechanisms that were in place, right? Supreme Court ruling eight years ago that um, having having that that uh, they can pull out the parts of uh, preclearance in changing voting laws. Does, we don't need to, those protections anymore. Elections are going great. Uh, we saw it with the Supreme Court abdicating responsibility on gerrymandering, which has rigged the system slowly so that, you know, you can vote, but you don't have the same power um, and representation in, in uh, state legislatures or in Congress because of gerrymandering. And now they're going full board and being able to say, you know what, let's allow, let's, let's just purge people from the voter rolls, eliminate same day voter registration so they don't even know what happened. Uh, let's make it harder for people to be able to vote. Uh, ratcheting up those lines. Um, and in this case, even if the election is is very clear, and, and let's be clear, Joe Biden won by a lot, right, nationally, the popular vote, um, but just being able to overturn it. And they could have done that, right? It is, it literally, it was Mike Pence uh, who decided to say no, um, that saved us this time, but that that may not happen. We may slip away and we're seeing this happen. And I know uh, Robert knows this this very well. This American authoritarianism is creeping in, and um, we've seen it happen in 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 other countries. Um, and it very well could happen here if we're not diligent in in making this the singular the singular issue. Do you believe uh, one person, one vote? Do you believe in abiding by a democratic republic? Do you believe in a peaceful transition of power? And people say no. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. That should be a it should be the end of the conversation. Uh, Clara, Robert, uh, any final questions or comments? An interesting thing about this, because inter- political scientists who do comparative government internationally no longer define the United States as a democracy. We're in this in-between position where we could actually go into an authoritarian system or build back to a democracy. And, and chaos and violence are much more likely in those non-democracies that are either moving from authoritarianism to democracy or backsliding like we are. Now, I think part of our problem is that a lot of Democrats, despite lip service, aren't, act, aren't, aren't acting like the problem is what it is, like up to the scale of the threat and the challenge. It reminds me of climate change where we don't do that either, right? Even though it's a threat to human civilization and that's well established. And so that's the concern about Merrick Garland, why there's so much pressure on the, uh, on the uh, you know, Attorney General for Biden, is that it, it, there's a belief that he may think that the way to renormalize law and order is simply not to prosecute what happened before, because that looks political, and that that actually allows it to continue and allows, it actually allows, sets a precedent for the 24, 24 election to be stolen more effectively. And they may, Trump is much better positioned, the Atlantic Magazine had a great expose on this, to steal it in 2024 than he was in 2022. He had a practice run. Right. And um, my, my question is with Josh Call, it's possible he thinks that. It's possible he doesn't think he should speak publicly, but he's doing his job and in investigating crimes that actually seem to have been committed in plain sight. 
what is your sense? Because the balance, because we all know someone to the right of Attila the Hun, not to, you know, defamed Attila, um, is going to run against Josh. And of course, he is raising money for re-election, but we need him to really be bold in defending democracy. So where, where do you think this kind of falls, this balance, what, what we should do? Yeah, and I think that, and I think it is, um, and it's it's something to to try and give um, give Josh Call the the encouragement and energy to do the right thing and to be able to say no, this is very important. We should do what we can with the power that we have. Um, and I get that it's something that's out of the ordinary, but it is like it's as um, it, it it is. We are on a, a path of, uh, of of allowing this, right? It's kind of like if you have a if you have a kid. And they do something wrong. You just don't punish them. You hope hope that it, they don't do it again. Um, the reality is, is they're going to keep trying it until there's they're they're stopped. Um, and unfortunately, the Republicans may be acting like kids, but they're it's a lot more dangerous than that. Um, and I would use and I and I and I fear some of your losers or, or your uh, your um, uh, listeners may have to to listen to to Google um, the uh, Hungary and what's happening over there. But but it is uh, the script that the Republicans seem to be following um, with Viktor Orban, where he was the prime minister, he was rightfully elected uh, two decades ago, uh, came into power, and then an election happened in this, this democracy, and he was booted out of power. In his time away, he realized, oh, gosh, I don't really like being out of power. Uh, if I ever get back in, I wonder what I can do to kind of change the system. And once he got in, he actually modeled it after off of what happens in American-style gerrymandering where he rigged the parliamentary elections in a form that it was impossible to remove his party from power. Um, he did that. And so for the last decade, they, they call him the victate, victor, um, uh, victator now, uh, Viktor Orban, because he's a, he's a democratically elected, but he's a dictator. It's authoritarianism. Uh, they use the same type of, of uh, racial animus, uh, violence towards immigrants, uh, fear of, of, of the other, uh, beefing up xenophobia. Um, they've taken over the entire media, right? Um, and so they only print and, and talk about what they want. Um, and, and this isn't just something that, that is out there for, oh gosh, well, no one seems to know about that here. Uh, Tucker Carlson did shows from Hungary <laughs> a few months ago. Yeah, he has, has a new documentary available on the wonders of Hungary. They just released this week. So yeah, yeah. you're totally well, right, Chris. Yeah. Look, the the clear tie to some of the legislation that was moving in the, in the Capitol this week, things like critical race theory, all of this stuff plays into this broader thing of stoking what's going on. But um, Chris, Senator Larson, thank you for joining us and going into this deep dive with us on this conversation. We we just see this as absolutely fundamental and really appreciate, you know, the work you did in terms of raising this up and to continuing talking about it. We think there's much more to come. There needs to be there needs to be real investigations in this. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks for holding up the, the torch of truth and really pushing this as an issue because it is, it's important and you guys do a fantastic job of that. So uh, thank you and keep up the good work. All right. We, we thank Senator Larson for spending probably more time with us than he thought when he uh, <laughs> agreed last night. Uh, but again, super, super important folks. There's so much we could have talked about on this podcast. We didn't even get into the details of all the stuff that went on in the legislature this week. Uh, we didn't 
get into the details of what's been updating on COVID. Folks, we got a new version of Omicron that's spreading that we need to talk about uh, in upcoming shows. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners that we're having a really big forum uh, this Saturday for the Milwaukee mayor's race. We really want to encourage our listeners, even if you don't live in the city, uh, to, to jump on and, and, and listen, because the city of Milwaukee is super important and it does not often have wide open elections for mayor. In fact, this is probably the most open election uh, since uh, Mayor Barrett was elected and should be a really contested election. We think it's important. We're going to have four of the top candidates who uh, we are considering in our endorsement process on, and it's going to be a Zoom meeting, again, a Zoom forum, nine o'clock Saturday. Really want to encourage you to listen, Get, jump on. Uh, RSVP will have a link with the uh, show here for you to jump on. Again, Saturday, this Saturday, 9 a.m., Folks, got to go. We want to again thank Senator Chris Larson for joining us and having that deep dive into what's been going on with our fake electors and the threat to democracy. Of course, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildred, who makes it happen every week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.